Okay, welcome. Uh, my name's Chris Bennett, uh, and I'll be hosting today's roundtable on platform product management. I'm the Nordics Recruit Manager here at Evolution, and I provide talented freelancers to pioneering tech companies. That's my bit. Uh, so let's get some introductions of who's on the roundtable today. Uh, John, could you introduce yourself? Yeah, happy to be here, Chris. Thanks very much uh, for inviting me. Um, my background is product management. Uh, I've been working on various sized products within consumer, business, and enterprise space uh, over the last 15, 20 years. Um, and that's kind of really ranged from both kind of newly built platforms, uh, where of course we're trying to scale up and make sure that we can expand as quickly as possible to get those revenues coming in, uh, to ones where I've gone into roles where, you know, they've had a, They've had a platform for quite a while. Uh, it's well established, has a lot of customers on, um, where you know the, the situation is a little bit different in terms of basically how to manage them and the type of uh, uh, angles that you know you have to deal with, um, the problems that you have to solve. Um, and I'll, I'll leave it as that. Ilya? Yeah, hello, thank you for inviting me. Um, my name is Ilya Prince, I'm working for Klarna for the last five and a half years. Uh, currently, I'm a group lead at Klarna, which means I'm looking after some few teams, building platforms. Um, my background is an engineer and a team lead, so I came from the engineering track and not really the product lead. Um, basically, building platforms to manage our orders management, consumption of uh, orders, purchases, and so on. So a lot of emphasis on uh, scalability, performance, data growth and such. Let's go on my background. Thanks, Ilya. Uh, David? Yeah, so I'm, uh, thanks for inviting me, uh, Chris. Definitely, it's gonna be really fun. So I'm uh, David, I'm VP Engineering of Detectify, and Detectify is, is building <coughs> a cybersecurity platform to uh, find vulnerabilities in websites and JavaScript application, API scanning, and that kind of stuff. So I've been here now for not that long, half a year, um, but I have a pretty long career in, in engineering leadership, not really a product area, but it's so tied together. So it's, I mean, it's, it's a collaborative effort all the years I've been working as this. Um, and I've been, when you talk about platforms, I've been in really horrible situations where huge platforms that no one is using to really thin platforms that are strongly connected to, to the actual users and the connection to the end users as well which uh, so I kind of seen those two worlds. So I think this is going to be a really interesting discussion. And Ekaterina. Hello, uh, thank you for the invitation. Such a great group of people to be with. Uh, I'm a senior product manager at Spotify. I work with platforms behind Spotify integrations with various partners. So if you listen to Spotify on a gaming console or on TV or on a speaker, you would use uh, uh, our platforms behind in order to know what to play, but also to log relevant data. Before that, I also was working with uh, credit risk and analytics uh, in a fintech. And before that, I was in telecom. So I can totally relate to uh, what uh, was mentioned before. I saw really bad, huge platforms that didn't serve any value to the company nor to the customers. But I also saw really valuable platforms. So I'm uh, very curious to hear different perspectives. How can we, from different angles, deliver better value and avoid those monster of uh, platforms? 
Perfect. Thank you. All very modest introductions. Um, so, as um, in previous podcasts, what we're going to go through is everyone's brought a question or a topic here today, and we're going to discuss those. So, the first question is from John. And John's question, what are the most difficult issues to deal with when managing a newish platform compared to one that is established and has a lot of paying customers? So John, will you just give us some context behind that question and why why you asked it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I a while back, I mean, it does go back a little while, but uh, I was responsible for trading platforms. Um, that's for the consumer market and also B2B. Um, and basically that platform was relatively new and it, it did have some quite unique challenges going with it. It was scaling fast as a business. They're bringing on new B2B partners, you know, where you're kind of handling the trading and we're talking equity trading here of various types for, for other banks within, within that market. And that was a relatively new platform of scaling quickly that, you know, if I take that experience and I kind of look at, okay, I've now been working with platforms where some of these platforms have been around 15 years, they built them really quickly, they expanded really quickly and it's established, but it has some challenges with it that you then run into as, as you try to expand it or do something new. You start tripping over kind of decisions of the past, maybe some various bits, bits and pieces. So, you know, for me, it's very interesting to kind of compare and contrast around okay both those challenges and actually how we can maybe avoid some of those okay david yeah so 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 immediately kind of think a little about that the concept of platforms it's a pretty wide concept it can mean many different things so i guess in in the context that you are in you actually have you're, you're delivering a platform that's the end solution from your company and you have external customers using that platform to trade for instance Right, it's it's not the platform yeah, that you have internally for your teams to excel faster or move faster. It, it's it is actually the the product itself. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. I mean, that, that was definitely definitely the case there. I mean, it was E-Trade in Australia, um, mm. where, I was, where I was working previously. If I compare it to maybe a platform that was being built for, let's say, in NetEnt, it was very much a platform internally to enable all our development teams to actually create games. Yeah, uh, that was a very, very different platform there, and you know that's been established mm -hmm. quite a while. So it's, it's a tricky so, question. I mean, uh, it's about how long you should should support previous features, and if you can break them, if you can actually move forward. At some point, you you get this lock in where you have all of these users using all that functionality, but you actually to deliver the new features, you would want to break them. I guess right. That's that's a little what you are asking. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think when it comes to managing kind of a new platform, one of the things is you're trying to find a lot of fit with, mm. that's one of the challenges, trying to find a lot of fit in terms of those new features coming on very, very fast. Um, and, you know, for managing that new platform, if I go back, there's always pressure in terms of product management. Okay, you all, everybody wants more. There's possibilities, there's possible. But having that new platform, it had, I would say, that you know, unique challenges there that, you know, you, you've you've settled on, you've fixed by the time you've got an established platform, or you should have done, and then you're trying to expand. Um, and actually kind of, you know, trying to think around, kind of, okay, if we're building a new platform now, how to avoid some of those challenges and what things that you can do right first time round. Um, 
What's your thoughts, Ilya? I'm actually trying to think about the like how the question was formulated, and also say that there is a part at the end, like established, and has a lot of paying customers. And I'm trying to think on how the lot of paying customers actually comes into play in the question. So, is it relevant? Like, is the challenges uh, to combine two? platforms together or there is also some importance in the fact that the other has uh, the established platform has a lot of paying customers. I think there is an interesting aspect to I mean, that and combining me, with what, what you just mentioned with what uh, David raised as a concern. So if you have already customers and they're paying, so they expect certain certain service, certain performance, certain integration type, I think the interesting aspect also to look into that, not from the perspective, we will have to break it, but how can we protect that relationship? Or how can we de continue delivering service and uh, value while changing internal complexity or internal, uh, you know, internal integrations and the uh, specifics or, of architecture? So I think in that sense, that's uh, also an interesting angle to see that because we, Sometimes we struggle with a similar thing since we have partners that have a longer uh, update cycle. How can we uh, change internal infrastructure and modernize it and make it faster and uh, deliver better value without changing the integration? Yeah. So yes. <laughs> to, to, uh, yeah, I mean, that, that's basically a challenge. We definitely sympathize with from, from time at NetEnt. Uh, for example, in terms of actually having that and actually needing to modernize what we had internally to give us new capabilities to enable our internal teams to actually work in a better way, but at the same time keeping those a I APIs very kind of stable towards our partners. Because at one point in time, <laughs> during my time there, it was we did have a lot of customers, but to actually upgrade them, we had to go upgrade them one by one. And you can imagine that upgrade cycle then with customer can basically needing schedule as well. If we kind of change the API, could know take a year could take 18 months or more which mm. um, is a very very good point I, I can see the problem it's a it's a hard problem to solve but i guess one way is to uh, i mean if you can what's the reason for the customers to move to the other platform or kind of take the step forward if you can find way find ways to motivate them the, there's extra value some extra benefits for them to to start kind of moving forward to so get them with you uh, but it's it's still it's still as uh, Katrina says. I mean, some have really long update cycles. You, you some some of these cases you can't really uh, kind of lure them or uh, um, get them to to swap over or move forward, and you're stuck with supporting them. So I mean, it's a hard choice to some to some extent. But. I think there is also another angle. Well, what's what's the worst case that you've had experienced? Sorry. Johnny, I was just going to Johnny, ask Johnny, what was you, kind of the worst you're, case you're that, lagging that quite you a bit. So if you just refresh, like, John. Perfect. Is, is that helping? That's much, much, that's much better, John. Yeah, so Katerina, you were about to say something there. Yeah, <laughs> I was uh, just about to say that I think uh, on another um, 
on another end of having lagging customers, also a challenge for new platforms is how do you invest into becoming a platform versus delivering features requested by the early adopters? Because you want to get those as early on as possible. You want to deliver value. But then how do you still create a space to become a platform and continue this scale-out journey? So I almost feel like it's a different ends of the continuum. How do you deliver value early? How do you bring on the new customers? How do you give, your sale, give yourself and your platform space to scale? And then how do you, for those customers who are there and cannot migrate, how can you still create some value without uh, completely sort of shutting them down or maybe finding some way to um, upgrade without touching them? So I think it's a very, uh, those are different ends of the continuum of having the platform in operation. Hmm. So very much focused around kind of getting that customer value in place and actually kind of balance that off against basically your organization on which pain you're going to be willing to take. I, you know, with running kind of a platform, I have been in a situation where in order to actually improve the platform moves to the next stage, we've literally had to say all but the most essential kind of new features or capabilities will just not be delivered. And of course you estimate, oh, that's going to take six, six months. And then six month passes and it needs to have another few months or three months or four months to finish that's a that's a customer challenge in terms of having to go back to customers and keep them engaged Ily, have you got any further thoughts well i like i assume the best way will be to try and help them migrate and seamless integration or migration that's the best solution when possible, obviously it's not always possible, and then you can choose either a stick or a carrot. Maybe there are some new features that are super valuable, you can only deliver on the new platform, and then you encourage them to migrate, or there is a stick, and then basically, well, we're not delivering new features on the old platform, and SLA degradation, and so on, and then you kind of forcefully, slowly move to the new platform, which, which is a, I saw this strategy in many different places, not sure it's super great, but... Sounds cool. like you prefer the stick. <laughs> <laughs> has, has anyone got any further thoughts on this question? Not really. It is a really hard problem, for sure. John, do you feel, do you feel your question's answered there? Have you got any follow-up questions or anything? No, I mean, I, I think, I think, I think it is. I mean, I think we go through some of the other questions. I think you know they they, they overlap, yeah, quite a lot, um, and you can get the answers uh, via, via via those other questions and discussions. Perfect. Happy to move on. Perfect, perfect. So, Ilya, yeah, your question was, what are the right reasons to switch to a new platform? Apart from the stick, and when is it best to invest in an existing solution? Yeah, and then the follow-up that is how to avoid unnecessary harmful changes. Yeah, so give us some, give us some context. If you're able to give a real real life scenario, that'd be brilliant as well. Oh, I think it's a ties very much into like the previous questions that John had, right? When you can get two platforms and now we need to support both, and uh, there, there's this challenge, and also later to David's uh, David's question. So too many times I've seen that. Uh, like there is issues with every solution, right? Uh, nothing is perfect. 
And then many times, instead of investing and improving the current solution, um, I saw people jump to conclusion, let's rewrite something, let's, let's create something new, something that will be much better. And not necessarily for the right reasons. And eventually you end up with more issues and problems and ending up need to support several platforms. And maybe even the new solution can be worse than the previous one. A lot of frustration to your customers and so on. And sometimes it's the right decision, right? To, to go for a new platform, but not always. So how do you strike the balance? So are you talking about a product as a platform or talking about internal platforms that are enabling teacher teams or application teams to build on? It, it, it can be both, but what's yeah. important that in this case, that it's platforms that is, um, it's provide a similar use case. So it solves mm -hmm. a similar problem. So I'm not talking about let's build a new platform that creates and allows new capabilities. And then I then understand the, the reasoning. Um, but when you're, for example, switching internal monitoring tools, and uh, when you're switching internal and deployment engine, whatever, when you're switching or building a new API to your customers, which essentially serves the same, the same purpose, let's say, I don't know if it would be Spotify, let's say like a new streaming API for, for music, if it would have been Klarna, a new API for, for making purchases. Obviously, it works today, but when it is the right decision to do something new. I think it's interesting, but the way I, I mean, there, there is a reason that you start, that, that you at some point start thinking a little about, we, we want to write a new platform. So those reasons could, could be many, I guess. But I guess one of the reasons I've seen is that you, you have a platform, it can be internal, external, but it turns out to be, it gets too generic. It's solving too many problems. It's too complex to start working on. And, uh, and I guess starting from scratch, it looks really easy because then you can focus on one of the problems and you, you see the, the journey of that fixing those problems, getting that to work. You still have all the other scenarios, all the other things that the previous platform is handling. So the question, maybe the question is, how can you avoid ending up in that situation where you have a super generic platform that handles too many different things to get it to be more focused from the, from the get-go and never derail kind of <laughs> because that, that's that's maybe one of the reasons that you actually want to to start a new platform but i guess this is when you this is how to avoid even to get to this point where your current platform is not uh, serving your needs mm, yeah. you already got stuck with the platforms that not necessarily serving your need and now you're in a situation where you need to decide between starting writing something new mm. or fixing and working on your current one. If it's a too generic one, you can start decoupling it, simplifying the use cases. And yeah, that, that's one way, for example, to solve it. Right. So, so that sounds very much there, David, like saying that you need to sort out your vision and your strategy first. Yeah. The whole purpose of what you're trying to provide before running off and then building your second attempt at a new platform. So I'm guessing at some point in time, the first one had the same, <laughs> maybe maybe good intentions <laughs> that got it yeah. into a state where that uh, new platform became a good choice. Mm. I think um, I, I also saw that it's very hard to operate with like forever and or never or always. Mm. I think the only constant that I saw was the change that at some point every single platform will need to be changed 
and uh, upgrade it and you know slightly adding a new use case or removing a use case so i guess uh, to me i saw more the uh, philosophy that I use uh, when we when we talk about solving uh, adjacent or very similar use case is more do we really need to completely change the platform or can we break it down and then change pieces of it so that it solves better and I think it also comes back to how do we continue providing value to the customer without needing to change the whole integration from their side or make the transition much smoother and then I think it's much easier to validate your business case, your strategy, your hypothesis, if you don't need to do the whole overhaul of, of the platform. And instead, you try to improve piece by piece what you have. Yeah, I mean, I, I think kind of my, my experiences of kind of as in where we've tried to replace a platform um unfortunately i think the first one ever went quite well um and it because it provided additional value it really basically fixed some of those major issues of the first attempt and it was only enough one that it, did, it wasn't so large that that became a blocker but it was really about kind of after that there's plenty of times where you know i think the next big time the right decision would be have been not to try and build a new platform it would be to do exactly as you said to break, break, break it apart and fix those individual parts within it that really aren't fit for purpose and find a way that those two can live side by side and kind of they can be replaced as and when so it's not kind of such a big replacement job it's not a kind of a major migration over five seven or more years um i definitely haven't seen the one where it's been the big full platform to a new platform and the migration i haven't seen those through um at all i guess maybe not many people have uh we got two parallel platforms and having that migration i'm also uh, curious now that you mentioned that first one went really successful what were the indicators or what were the flags that made you invest into new platforms was it that they didn't solve the whole use case or was it some other challenge that you saw um it's, it's a long time ago i think that, that there's two parts of it one is it was using kind of third party products a lot and they wanted to bring a lot more of those in-house so that was one part of it the second part was basically the use cases so to, in order to extend it and actually kind of get the whole quality of the platform up it made sense to both in-house more of that development and stop using the third party parts of their, their their service and then also is actually kind of that was able to be utilized or leveraged in order to actually kind of provide new capabilities so that's maybe why that one was actually more successful than let's say an attempt to replace a quite a large system um and then have a migration that goes along with it and that that really was a uh, second second scenario uh, that i was in you know that was very difficult and it's one that after a while we backed away from and then actually spent the money and decided okay invest in what we've got and get that to work L look you know better at what technologies are there what parts of the system we need to replace how we can scale what we have better and clean it up and accept that maybe it's not perfect uh, i think there'd been maybe a naivety or the evaluation hadn't been in depth enough 
and there'd been too many people i think key you know the key was in that decision that really wanted to hop on to that kind of oh would it be great to create a new platform we can create it so quickly it'd be so easy when it's new because we know what to do we have a nice pattern here on what it's supposed to be solving we can we can do that do that easily and of course it, it wasn't that easy funnily enough um Ilya, just to jump in, I mean, going back to your to your question as well. I mean, what do you think the right reasons are to switch? Yeah. I am mostly thinking about the wrong reasons and things like John, for example, now state one like the wrong reasons will be yeah, like the, the enthusiasm of building something new and naively thinking, oh, that's going to be much more simple because that's going to be new, no legacy, no complexity, and so on. So, so that's definitely. I think one of the wrong reasons. Um, the right reasons will be something that you basically cannot do in your old platform or existing platform uh, in order to support the growth of your business or to provide more value to your customers. Um, to me, and, and like if, if it's possible to minimize your customers' um, involvement in the migration, that, that's key. I mean, it's also okay to start writing a new platform and so on, as long as your customers are not aware of that. And that to me is key for like customer satisfaction and happiness. What about, what about you, David? Are you going through any similar challenges at the minute over um, at Detectify? Uh, not, not really, not really right now. I would say, but uh, but I recognize what what you talk about. Um, I guess th there is, I guess th there are many different reasons to kind of start over and and kind of rethink what you've done. But uh, but it's uh, yeah, it's, it is complex. But but I think let, let's say that you have this situation. You you move slow in the previous platform. Doesn't really it is solving your your customer problems, but you can't add enough. You can't add value on the pace that you need to to keep them or keep them happy or get new customers. So it's not really none of this is black and white. It's usually a huge gray zone that that you that you don't really have objective data to go by. It's, you end up at the end with some kind of subjective decision that say that yeah we think this is going to go faster. We think we're going to get more customers on this, but if we're doing in in this direction and. We have some kind of plan to migrate over the previous users to customers to, <clears throat> to the new platform. But once you try it, you see it's a lot harder than you thought. So, it, I mean, it, to take this front up decision and be sure that you take the right decision, it's uh, almost impossible, I think. But a, maybe a better way to approach that would be to have more of a continuous, I mean, really to do that from the beginning, which is hard, but really continuously refactor remodel your your platform and be, being in startups you know that you don't get the time to do that so suddenly you, you have huge platform and once you realize we should have refactored it we should have rebuilt it then it's kind of too late because it's too big 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 of a job to to do that work and i guess then you're tempted to start up a new uh, so it's um yeah following the book would be to continuously refactor I think, it would be, I think that's a really, really good point because one of the things you know, I was thinking about kind of in my head is the situations that I've been in sometimes which have led to, but we now won't be able to do this in the short or medium term, is a lot of that information sometimes was actually known a lot earlier in the process. We're taking a shortcut here, but there was never the transparency, there's never the visibility. 
So it's come when it comes up to senior executive, it's like a real shock. We're now in this situation where we're kind of in a in a, almost a dead end. It's never quite a dead end, mm. but it gets really hard to actually work with the products, things that should relatively be cheap end up being really expensive to do uh, because you keep on breaking things. Um, and those situations, a lot of time, the visibility wasn't there. It was too localized. It wasn't transparent. It wasn't basically put and documented everywhere. here for the 10th time in a row. We're taking a shortcut. Okay, we're now stacking up this for the future. That was never, never done to actually make what you're, you know, you're saying being the right way is if you continue to invest in it all the time and have value placed on, you know, the quality of the, the platform, it's you know it's it's the non-functional requirement part in terms of okay how's it's going to scale, how's the you know the quality etc. Then hope you know you, you stand a better chance of not really getting into that situation where, I guess people feel that the new platform is the only way hmm. to solve this big basket of problems that you've now got. Just just to jump in there, when you're talking about creating a culture that we're constantly refactoring the platform, does that actually happen? And if so, has anyone got any examples of any companies or positions they've been in which has had a real good culture and someone really accountable for this? I wouldn't say anyone specifically accountable, but I've been, been in organizations where we uh, do refactor continuously. But you still have, even, even in those cases, you have situations where you have big, important customers that you just have to keep. And, and they are driving uh, some kind of that you have to stick to the legacy functionality, the legacy interfaces, the legacy APIs. You can't move away from them because the customer are just requiring that. And then it's, it is, of course, harder to move away. <clears throat> but I wouldn't say it's impossible, but it, it's, uh, it's definitely harder in those cases. But I think it's about determination from, from day one that you, you kind of have to stay true in the sense of not only from a technical point of view refactor, but it's also from a product point of view not to derail and kind of, yeah, it's tempting to add these new customer and they're not actually using the product in the way we were thinking of it. So it, it's expanding and that causes also more complexity and suddenly you, you, can, you end up in a really slow moving face because you're supporting so many different scenarios that you didn't think of from the beginning. So I guess switching to new platform, maybe, maybe it can be a cleansing thing. Maybe there are some customers that you're not meant to keep because it's not your business. It's outside of your business. Uh, that, that, that's another very hard question. <laughs> that's a hard one. <laughs> that's a, that's a tough, tough place to be there. Yeah, they know that. For life cycle management, that's a whole different area. Yeah. But that's also within your you're in your own system. I think we're we're all a bit too bad at decommissioning features, decommissioning functionality that are very seldom used. And you, if it's if you can do that, if you can remove a few things, it's a lot easier, less risk that you actually have to redo a platform. But once you're in the situation, you have two platforms. Yeah, then then it's hard. But it's more about avoiding ending up in that situation. Uh, Katarina, what what's your thoughts around this subject? I'm, uh, I think there are two angles of that. So we have touched upon the external angle. So the customers and handling life cycle and sunsetting and um, change management for APIs. I think there is another aspect of that of internal culture that uh, David has uh, also mentioned. And um, 
what we are trying to do also in my team right now uh, at Spotify is first of all to uh, allow ourselves to have a space for some ongoing refactoring. Of course, this is still not an ideal world. So we sometimes have to jump in on the emergency things or, or very uh, business critical deliveries. But we really worked a lot with the engineering leadership to invest into this mentality that the team should spend time, if, even if it takes a bit longer for the time to market, but they see opportunity to improve the code or the system, let's invest into that. If it requires a major investment of time, like several weeks or several days or several months, let's discuss it and let's find a way to defend that investment of time. And we managed to do some of that investment over the past half a year. And we really see how that pays back because we managed to, uh, you know, refactor some of the things that were not working, uh, upgrade to uh, better frameworks. At the same time, I think it required really clear communication and narrative from our side as well towards stakeholders, towards management. Why are we doing that investment? And I think that's also what you uh, talked before about, uh, John, that, you know, how do we give that space? How do we tell that we took a shortcut and we will need to pay for it later? Or how do we come back and say that we really need to do it now, otherwise it will be too late later? So I think that this is the interesting aspect that uh, we are going to invest more in, in inside my team. How can we make it more transparent? How can we... Uh, create this story why this is so important for the business not because we want it but because it so, has so much value for the business and together with an internal culture of bringing up those issues having you know as simple as having a technical discussion once every second week or every third week and uh, just mulling over some of the challenges that we see in the code i think that's very important as well to to have this constant uh, upgrade and constant uh, modernization of the infrastructure. Fantastic. Yeah, I mean, I'd say that's something that we've also, some parts of that we're talking about is what we've done at Synchron over the last 18 months is to really factor, you know, focus down on that in terms of saying, okay, there, there's value to this. Can we be more explicit about this? And we will fix it and we'll look into it value. It's not just about, I know, the 15 to 20% will be spent on quality or maintenance. It's actually, we'll lift up those things, which is going to block us either tomorrow, next month, next year, because we know that that's within our strategy where we want to be going. So we're going to hit it late or we can start to focus on those improvement areas now. But do, do, do you work with it in terms of having a percentage time allocated where you say that's really what we need or do you just basically say we need to see everything and we'll just we'll we'll compare one to the other and what gets the most value we'll focus on that even if it's i don't know it's 80 percent technical improvements that's the way we're going to go now for the business how, how do you work with it uh, i can answer for my team and if anyone has a better approach i'm very open to learn so we made a test, um, how can we work with it better? Because I think it, it's also very individual to the team. So we tested the three approaches. One approach is allocating one day a week for the whole team to work on the improvement. Another approach that we tested was allocating one person per sprint to uh, work on some improvements. 
both of them were not really long-term sustainable. It worked for a couple of weeks, but then um, we saw that there is degradation of motivation and then uh, emergency things take over. So one of the things that we tried in the past uh, months was separating into two work streams. The team is still one, we have all the ceremonies, all the discussions together, but then one work stream works on the improvement and modernization or refactoring if that's needed. And can I ask you a question? So if you have those two work streams, who, who does the prioritization and kind of how much do you invest in each stream? Um, I wish there was a formula, but it was a bit of a, a sort of iteration and uh, uh, seeing what works best. So it was me together with engineering manager deciding that and trying different allocation and depending on the, uh, you know, on the other things that we need to prioritize. But we try to keep it as stable as possible at the same time. Brilliant. Thanks for that. Thanks for sharing that, Katarina. Um, okay, next question. Uh, is David's question. His question was, how can we avoid building a platform missing its targets and that is too disconnected with actual end customer needs? So David, give us some context behind your question. Yeah, uh, so I've been working in, uh, in a few organizations that have both kind of platforms that are delivering as, as a product, that's product is to deliver platform that other companies are building applications on. <clears throat> but also internal platforms that are supposed to enable the application team to move faster, uh, limit their cognit cognitive loads, so they can focus on their kind of core business and get things done faster. But over time, uh, quite often these platforms are kind of living its own life. They're not actually building things that the customer and customer are caring about because there's a certain disconnect. They, they have their own agenda. They're not facing the real customer problems. So. I think, and I guess that, that also drives a lot of uh, over complexity. It's, and I, I think the specifically what I think about, if you have an organization working on a platform that not, not on a day-to-day -day basis are facing the actual customer problems, all the innovation that's happening in those people and in that organization is not necessarily towards solving customer needs. It's, it's about whatever they see, they're solving that problem and that might derail from the actual thing they should do. So for, for quite some time, I was pretty allergic of, <laughs> to even talk about platforms. I wanted to, every team to have direct connection with real customer problems. But also on a scale, you, you need this, you need platforms to, to, to get the, uh, the performance you want and the focus and also to limit this cognitive load. So I think what is, how do you actually avoid that disconnect when you're working the platform team to not build things that it's actually not needed is is, is some, some of this problem uh, is i'm throwing back a question now some of this problem connected to you know the internal customers then you're working with they're mm. not really reflecting properly for those those other product teams internally what the customer needs are they're not providing context they're not providing the information that enables those teams to really support them in the best way is that some of the problem that you've seen i guess that <clears throat> there is well, there have been a situation where you had like platform organization with hundreds of developers i mean huge oh. and uh, and one of the things i was working on back then was to get my application developers to have access to the code in the platform so they could do the changes they actually needed 
so they were the platform team were delivering things, but not what the what the application team needed. So instead, their solution was to can we have access? We can do the changes ourselves, and then this, the entire purpose of the platform team disappears. So that's the kind of situations which which I would say is the worst possible setup that you have. Four hundred people doing things that doesn't matter to the users, but like uh, from like how how I said like you should combine the two things or how I, how I usually and approach it. So, so first of all, you should or everyone, every group, every team, right, should solve the their customer problems and provide the solution. Not building mm -hmm. a platform, building a platform that's kind of the tool that you're using. Yeah to solve a problem. So so first of all, you always have to solve your customers' needs and so on and so on, and not be disconnected. And, and then on the second part of the question, how you make sure that you're writing it as a platform, I, I mostly encountered it as a, this problem when you build internal tools. And in mm -hmm. that situation, I imagine myself that I'm not a, I'm not a team within this organization and I have access to the internal APIs and keys, and I can always go and to talk to someone. And, and if I want to change my, my API, I would just, yeah, send a message to the other developer telling them, oh, by the way, tomorrow we're going to change this field or these values. And can you also please make the same changes in your code? So the way like I'm imagining and, uh, that my team or the team that runs platform does not work with other internal things, but we're working with other companies were providing a platform. And by imagining that, you're gonna force to build a real platform that takes into consideration like all all possible solutions. You, you don't think mm -hmm. of your internal tools even, all right? So you're oh. not thinking about, I don't know, I'm, we're using Kafka, so we will use a uh, Kafka protocol. Like, no, not certainly. That's uh, You need to think about as if you were an external company. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that, that is a good point. I mean, <clears throat> and I think uh, so. We are we are we have some platform teams, and what we're thinking about is is a little about. Um, so how do we know that these teams are doing good job? Can we can we set up some KPIs for them or or something that's supporting them to know that we're actually doing a good job? And I guess one one thing could be. Uh, things like uh, internal net promoter scores. So the users of the platform, are they happy or actually solving their problem and measure it that way? So I really like some kind of measurement that objectively tells us that we're moving in the right direction. And I guess you're going to have something that's uh, derailing. It's not going to be perfect, but at least uh, understanding the problem we're solving, can we measure that in some way and set up some KPIs that is guiding us at least? Uh, not by law, but at least uh, pointing in the direction if we're moving in the right direction. Uh, Katarina? I also feel that uh, it almost requires a step back and question, do you have the right setup in the team? Because uh, I'm a big uh, uh, fan of platform product management. And it would be strange if I wouldn't be since I'm working, a product manager working primarily with platforms. But uh, uh, I also saw how much difference it makes if someone sort of steps back and really assesses what are the customer needs. So exactly asking the same fundamental questions as Ilya brought up. What are the customer needs? Who are the customers? And then how can you slice down 
what you deliver into the you know smallest possible deliverable what is uh, used as a terminology as minimal vi valuable product in product management because i also saw uh, if i compare an experience with one of the previous jobs that i had where there was an enormous project you know and then they were building and building and building and then you have very not agile process with the excel sheet with like 300 rows and then you really wonder when it it was nowhere near to the to the delivering the value and it was already they were uh, losing their track who is the, re the real customer who will benefit from it so i really think that in that sense challenging and validating early and having this iterative development compared to what I both experienced in, uh, uh, in FinTech and uh, now it's Spotify, where we really try to, in my team, find the thinnest slice where we could get feedback from the customer. And then even that in the platform can take time. But at the same time, when you get the early feedback, for when you haven't, you know, taking time in platform, like if it's six months versus six years investment, that's early enough that you wouldn't, Overinvest into failing solution. So I think sort of applying that product thinking and really ch challenging that. And as you said, introducing internal satisfaction. I think that's also a great way to measure the the value that you deliver as a platform internally. I think you're 100% right in the in the sense of <clears throat> having really small iterations, getting fast feedback that will minimize the risk that you're moving in the wrong direction. You you get this feedback, so you can you can kind of move back again. Yeah. And as you said, if you work in one year, half year on something without getting that kind of feedback from real usage, then it's higher risk that you actually have steered in the wrong direction for that long. And so that, that's of course a great recipe to do also for internal platforms. Uh, and and some, some kind of KPIs that I like do this, like measuring like number of support requests looking mm -hmm. at how many people are using my platform compared to how many people are trying to invent something for themselves. Yeah. <laughs> if your platform does not work for some, they will just tell some engineers, so they will come up mm -hmm. with their own solution. And, yeah, and also like an integration time is something, how much time it actually takes someone to onboard the platform. That's some mm -hmm. very important, I think, a key measurement that I'm looking. Yeah, that sounds like a, suggestion i think also keeping those those customers engaged i mean one of the points that's brought up is sometimes can take longer to actually kind of get that value even at the smallest amount can take a take some time more so than let's say a front-end feature for a consumer site you know that you know, how to keep basically the internal customers engaged throughout that process they actually feel that they're they're getting joint value throughout that journey you can get those feedback loops as you're basically you know, you're going through, you're iterating, you're experimenting, so they continue to actually be engaged throughout the, the journey. So that way you're gonna continue to have that internal customer feedback throughout the process. Um, and that's that, that's critical. So it's treated as, I think a couple of you have been saying already, you, know, you treat basically all your internal customers as if they were any other customer in terms of how you engage with them. There's no difference. Perfect. Right, final question. Uh, Katarina's question was, when working with a platform, how can you ensure that the product is scalable and not optimized for the needs of one customer at different stages of the product lifecycle? 
So, Ekaterina, give us some context behind this question. Absolutely. Uh, I would like to highlight a couple of words in that uh, in that question. First of all, different stages of of the life cycle of a platform, because I think it's very interesting to hear your experiences of working with platforms at different stages and how did you work on really building a platform and not being suboptimal for one customer. And uh, uh, another why I'm so interested in this question, we have been, uh, when working with platforms, both now at Spotify and my team, but also before, I really saw when we were starting investment in, in, into the new platform, we usually already had the first customer in mind. But how do we avoid just building a solution or service or backend for that customer versus building a platform? And I think the same goes also for external customers. So how do you not suboptimize APIs for integration with modern customers so that you cannot integrate anyone else there? So I'm very, very interested to hear your experiences and opinions on managing that. John. Oh, you're going to pick on me it's, this tough, it's a tough question. <laughs> I saw all your faces and I thought <laughs> I it going, might yeah. happen. <laughs> I was going, please don't pick me first. I need some time to think about this. No, uh, it's... I, Really, it's uh, for me. It is is it's about to come to two two main factors. One is that basically keeping the perspective of multiple customers in mind, and there is individual kind of pressure points from especially larger customers that have maybe a lot of power relationship to to even your own business. Um, that you're actually speaking to multiple customers, and you're actually get, getting basically more stretch in terms of how you're going to be building your product for more than maybe those individual customers. Um, and the second part is really about having that, it is more about the kind of commercial side, in terms of having really strong support. I'm thinking a lot from my aspect of not in internal platform, but one that basically goes out externally to external customers, is actually having the commercial organization, basically, they, they've got your back. You've actually explained things very, very clearly about the impacts and what is really acceptable or what's not acceptable and it's taking you a different direction and where to be flexible about what's being going to be included in the product and what is just completely out of scope and getting them to support in terms of those conversations with very large powerful companies to really understand and persuade them that's not going to happen or that shouldn't happen it's in your own interest as well as for us as a company to to, to not do that I, I, I think that it's kind of goes back to what I was thinking before as well. And that you're thinking about other companies or other external dependencies when you are building this specific solution. So, for example, when I build some solution for Klarna, some platform, uh, we'd also think, let's say, I would need to sell it to Spotify. If, if it's the same use case, if Spotify would not this uh, solution will they be able to use my platform to solve it will they be able to sell sell it to netting or some other company and, and that's kind of a way i think for me to build products which are platforms because i'm not solving the problem uh, for a specific company or team i'm solving it for for everyone as an example with kernel for some time i've been uh, managing communication platform team that does uh, 
sense communication to our customers. And that really was one of the guidance principles that, okay, every company has communication to their customers. So it's not a unique problem for, for Klarna and uh, communicate with our uh, end users. So the idea was building APIs and capabilities, which then I can basically sell to whatever other company in the industry uh, to use. And, and that was kind of the guiding principles and it worked well. So, so you're targeting the problem, not the client there? Well, not exactly. So, so some big clients have a unique uh, unique request and some clients have like more weight. So, so the way I, we thought about in the team is that like, okay, we are a small startup. We are providing a communication solution and Klarna is our biggest customer and the biggest paying customer. So we are building a platform, which we actually, one of the ideas was try to actually to maybe externalize. Um, but we still have to care a lot about our main funding <laughs> customer, which is learning. We are with Klarna. So it's always a balance, right? There is nothing black and white. But, but this is a, a guiding principle that helps with that. And, and also you don't want to over-engineer, right? So not every request from a customer, you want to make it into a platform. Um, so many times also like, yeah, make it work, make it pretty, make it scalable, right? So it's all, all about the balance, but always have to keep everything in mind. David? Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think it's a great question. And I think a really good principle when you develop things in general is not to build for an unknown future. Now that, that comes a little with conflict with, um, with an idea of a platform, because then if you have one single customer, you're building for that customer because you don't know what the other customer will require, basically. I mean, and then if you then can involve that platform into meeting the other all the customer needs, then, then at, at some end point, you have a, you have a platform. But initially it is a customer specific solution. The problem with that way is that the initial customers then might have to migrate, might have to change because they, from, from the get-go, you haven't done it from the platform point of view, but in that way, at least you minimize the complexity, you minimize features that no one is using because the more you're guessing initially, the bigger the risk is that you build things that no one actually will use because you don't, you don't actually, you're guessing the, the customer requirement. So it's, I don't really have an answer, but it's, it's hard. I, I guess, uh, if you have too much of a thinking of everyone should be able to use this for thought thought kind of uh, usage then i guess the risk is that you build lots of things that actually no one will use you add complexity you add uh, lots of code that's hard to change so you want to have as little code as possible generally so that that's a conflict i i, I see it's a really interesting question but i, I don't really have a good, good answer well, I think you said about the different stages as well. I mean, if it's early stage and that is basically the one customer and there's an access to other customers, it definitely gets a little bit more difficult. And then you have to kind of, if you want to have that stretch, you have to really go and find out potential customers that are realistic. Um, but in something that's a bit more mature, you do have, you know, when you're doing all your discovery work and you're kind of, okay, maybe you're fixing for one customer, you have a bank of other customers to go and speak to, to test out basically your concept or, you know, your idea of the problem you're solving to see if that resonates with them. And, you know, whether that's a customer advisory board or it's a 
user group or reference group to actually leverage those as much as possible to actually see is there other value here that can be generated? Is it the same or is it going to end up in maybe a slightly different solution or reformulating what problem that we're actually solving? Um, but that's, it's, it's easier with, I think going back to my first question, it's easier when you've got something more established with a lot of customers, but more kind of in that sense, you've got more access to be able to do that. If it's something very on in the journey or in greenfield space, it, I, I think it probably is more difficult. Katerina, have you got any further thoughts on that, on the comments that have been said? I think Ilya wanted to mention something else. I'm uh, very curious to hear. Oh, has he got something? <laughs> I, I, I was like another approach is sometimes I, I try when there is like, if I already have a platform and I, I get some specific request, uh, then I try to build it like on top of my platform. So again, one of the approaches with the communication platform example and the previous examples that I gave and the learn the biggest customer, when there was a request that I felt that was not really part of the platform, but something really proprietary to Klarna. Obviously we have to deliver because right, we are part of Klarna. Then I would not bake it into the platform, but I will make it like a side service that's using my platform in order to deliver this functionality. And then like in time moment, I can also deprecate this functionality because it's not core, it's not part really of my, of my platform. So that's kind of a way to balance the needs of your customer or your company uh, and actually having a scalable platform. So having a separation between the core platform and some features. It's almost like you're developing the strategy and you're identifying the problem space that you're addressing and then you put some kind of guardrail principles, right? Which, what are you not going to include there in some sense? Inside the platform. Obviously, yeah. I have to solve my customer needs and if they yeah. say that's important to me, then I have to solve it. But it doesn't mean that I have to bake it into my platform. I can have it on using my platform and then everybody will have it. So I'm not sure if it's a possibility. So let's say that you, you you have you have this customer. You have one, one first use customer. You you do what you said, John. There that you you interview lots of different customers to get the kind of the big picture. What uh, what kind of generally this is needed. And if you then can build the features that you need to do for the first customer without painting yourself into a corner, so that you're you don't build for the for the rest of the customer, but you're not you're not kind of creating a structure that you cannot build for them. If you see what I mean, yeah. at least you then can move towards covering the entire scope when it's needed without absolutely it too soon. Absolutely. At least that way you've tried. And you know, if you get into a situation which you will do, <laughs> where you have to kind of rewrite everything again because new stuff comes along, you're doing it you know, attached to the value that's real as opposed to a, a hoped for value or you know, a, a gamble or a bet in terms of you know, creating a, a solution that's too expensive from the get-go. So, so the ability to see into the future is quite important in this question. <laughs> I'd love that. I'd absolutely love that. That would be very, very rich. <laughs> it wants to change the past, not, not the future. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, listen, we'll